invite you to turn in your Bibles with me this morning to the book of 2 Samuel in the Old Testament. We are working our way across the book, and today we are in chapter 9 of 2 Samuel. One of the encouraging things about our Bibles is that the Bible contains real accounts about real people. And sometimes those accounts uh, are of times of great spiritual victory as the men and women of Scripture depend on God and allow God to enable them. But sometimes those accounts, sometimes even the same people, go through times of spiritual defeat. Serving out of a sense of self-dependence instead of God-dependence. And many look at the book of 2 Samuel and divide it according to that recognition that chapters 1 through 9 are the account of David's spiritual victory. And then chapter 10 to the end of the book gives an account of David's spiritual defeat. Another encouraging thing about the Bible is that the Bible doesn't lift up people. It lifts up God. And regardless of whether someone is victorious in dependence on the Lord or suffers defeat because they're self-dependent, God ultimately ends up being glorified. His attributes are seen and declared. And today in chapter 9, we see an account in the life of David. Real guy, real life account. And it, it is an account of great success because David operates under the empowerment of God and ultimately God is seen in David's actions specifically in chapter 9 we will see that God is a God of grace he is a God who is always demonstrating loyal love to his people and kindness. And as we look at chapter 9, we see David reflecting God as he serves as a conduit of God's grace. In other words, David is going to show kindness, loyal love, grace in this chapter. And in so doing, he's actually showing God's grace through him to someone else. So let's look at chapter 9 together as I read it out loud and watch for how David shows the kindness of God. And especially, we're going to see this morning, that he does it when the people around him would not expect him to do so. Then David said, 
Is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. The king said, Is there not yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel and Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he said, Here is your servant. David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father Jonathan, and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. Again he prostrated himself and said, What's your servant, that you should regard a dead dog like me? Then the king called Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to his house I have given to your master's grandson. You and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him, and you shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have food. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table regularly. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, and Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in the house of Ziba were servants to Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate at the king's table regularly. Now he was lame in both feet. As we look at chapter 9, we're going to see... David demonstrate two things. He's going to demonstrate integrity, and he is going to demonstrate grace, kindness, loyal love. And in demonstrating integrity and grace, he actually will be reflecting God. As we see as the chapter opens in verses 1 through 5, chapter 9 begins by saying, Then David said. And these first five verses point out that David is a man of integrity. And, And as we look at that, we can see that as believers we show integrity when we follow through and do what we say we're going to do. And that's what David's going to do here. And in the process, he does what the culture wouldn't expect and actually reflects God. So, chapter 9, verse 1, Then David said. Now, that little word then is connecting chapter 9 what we, with what we've just preceded in chapter 8. Chapter 8 went to great lengths of showing 
that David has a solid reign. We saw that he's had victory on all sides. He's had victory on the southwest. He's had victory on the east. He's had victory on the north. And so there's peace in the land. There's no battles being fought. We've seen in previous chapters that now he is reigning from a new capital city, Jerusalem. He has a new residence. He, at the end of chapter 8, has an organized government. Everything is stable. And David says, is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, there's some Bible teachers who look at this section and think what David is trying to do is to create a political alignment with the tribe of Benjamin. That would have been King Saul's people, the guy that he followed. And if he's kind to the Benjamites, it will put him in with greater uh, view of uh, with the Benjamites. They'll think more highly of him. I don't think that's what's going on at all. The text doesn't even allude to that. What I think is going on is that David here is a man of integrity and he is referring back to a promise that he made to Jonathan roughly 15 years prior to chapter 9. To see that promise, I invite you to turn with me back to 1 Samuel chapter 20. And as you're turning to 1 Samuel 20, remember with me that King Saul had a son named Jonathan. He was David's best friend. David loved Jonathan, and Jonathan loved David. They were committed to each other. They were the best of friends. And Jonathan asked David here in chapter 20, starting to read in verse 15, to make a covenant with him. And he's going to specifically say, David, one day when you are king and there is peace all the way around you, I want you to to make a promise to me that you will show loving kindness to my family. And we're going to talk about the Hebrew word that's translated loving kindness here because it's a very important Hebrew word that ties 1 Samuel 20 together with 2 Samuel chapter 7. So in 1 Samuel chapter 20, starting to read in verse 15, these are the words of Jonathan, Saul's son. You shall not cut off your loving kindness from my house forever. Nor even when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord require it at the hands of David's enemies. Jonathan made David vow again because of his love for him, because he loved him as he loved his own life. Jonathan actually speaks prophetically here. He may not realize it, but what he says is, In the day... When there's complete peace in the land, don't forget to show loving kindness to my family. Now the Hebrew word 
that is translated loving kindness in 1 Samuel chapter 20 is one of the most important Hebrew words in the Old Testament. And that same exact word is repeated three times here in 2 Samuel chapter 9. In Hebrew, the word is chesed. It's a very guttural sound. It's kind of a, a K-C-H with some spit coming out of the back of your throat. Chesed. It's a word that is often used in connection with God toward His people. It means that God is always loyal in His love to His covenant people. He's always faithful. He is a kind God. He is a God of grace. Sometimes the word is used between two people. Like here in 1 Samuel 20, Jonathan said, I want to make sure that you show chesed to my children and grandchildren. I want you to be demonstrating loyal love to them. Covenant love. Grace. Kindness. So here as we come to chapter 9 of 2 Samuel 7, remember the words of Jonathan, someday when you have peace in the land, I want you to show chesed. It's no mistake, chapter 8 just said, there's peace in the land. And then chapter 9 begins, then David said, is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him? Chesed. That's our same word. Here in chapter 9, the translators translated it kindness. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 15, they translated it uh, um, loving kindness. It's the same Hebrew word, chesed. So, David here is saying... I am going to be a man of integrity. I promised Jonathan that I would show grace to his descendants. When Even if there's total peace in the land, I am going to honor and do what I said I would do. So they call for Saul's servant Ziba. And David says to him in verse 3, Is there not yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God. Now that's very important. Because David clearly sees that in him showing chesed, this loyal love, this grace, this kindness, this loving kindness, this loyalty, it's really not coming from within him. He is just a conduit. He is a vehicle by which God is going to show kindness to Jonathan's son. David recognizes that because as I need to show him the kindness of God, the chesed of God, just as God demonstrates his loyal love to his people, David wants to be a tool of God that God's going to use so that when Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, feels kindness and love expressed to him. He's really feeling that love ultimately coming from God. David recognizes it. 
and says, I need to show the kindness, the chesed of God to a descendant of Jonathan. And Ziba says back to King David, yes, verse 3, there's still a son of Jonathan who's crippled in both feet. The king says, where is he? They tell him, and they send for Mephibosheth. Now remember, in chapter 4, verse 4 of Second Samuel, we see Mephibosheth mentioned. That's where he's introduced to us. King Saul and Jonathan are in battle. They're going to be killed. And Jonathan's son is being cared for by a nurse. And she picks him up, tries to flee, and she falls. And Mephibosheth is hurt. And from that time forward, he is crippled in both of his feet. That's where we first became acquainted with him. Evidently, He has just been barely surviving. Remember, he has no royal claim anymore. This is an agrarian society. If you can't work, how are you going to eat? Evidently, he is just totally at the mercy of someone to give him food and to help care for him because he has no means of earning any living. And David sends for him. Now... That is counterculture. Why? Because in this culture, what would be expected is for David to kill Mephibosheth. He's a descendant of the former king. And he's got a son. What would be normal is to say, I don't want the previous ruler's family to come and assassinate me. They have to be wiped out. That's the only way I can have security. That's what would be expected. But that's not what David's going to do. Why? Because David is a man of integrity. He does what he says he will do. And he had promised Jonathan that he would show loving kindness, loyal love, grace to Jonathan's descendant. And that's exactly what he's going to do. In June, my wife Barbara and I are going to head south on some vacation. The last two summers we've headed east and went to New England. And then last summer we spent a little time at the outer banks of North Carolina Well, this year we're going to spend a week in Tennessee with my wife's brother and his wife. And uh, one of the things that is important to my wife and I when we travel is we like to do nice things as cheaply as possible. And so we kind of make a game out of it. And my sister-in-law really scored. She found us a two-bedroom condo at a Wyndham resort in Tennessee for a week for $538. That works out to about $36 a couple per night. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. That's what we need, 36 bucks a night. A little disheartened when we looked up the resort, it says Wyndham Resort and Retirement Center. So... I'm a little nervous about that. I I keep kidding my sister-in-law that they're going to have glasses on the countertops for me to put my teeth into at night. 
But since we're going to spend a week with family, I would like some time just with my wife. So for a few days before, we're going to shoot just the five hours down, and we're going to go to Charleston, South Carolina, just the two of us. Now again, I'm a pretty frugal traveler, and Charleston's kind of looking expensive to me. So I've been really trying to work at this. In fact, I worked at it so much that for a brief moment, I was thinking about doing one of these timeshare presentations. We found a Crown Plaza is offering, if you come for three nights and a carriage ride for only $179 for the whole time, if you just listen to their two-hour presentation. Well, we've been warned that those two-hour presentations aren't just two hours. So I said to Barbara, I want you to call them and just say... You know, is it really just two hours? And the guy says, oh, yes, it's only going to be two hours. No longer than that at all. Two hours max. But you need to know that I've got 15 people on hold right now, and there's only one spot open, and so you have to take it right now if you want it. Barbara said, I think we'll just have to trust that if we're supposed to do this, that that spot will still be there, and called me. And I said, the guy's a liar. There's not 15 people on hold. And if he's lying about the 15 people on hold, he's lying about the two hours. And so I said, even though I'm frugal, I'm not that frugal. We're not going to do that. So I booked a backup plan, a hotel that's pretty highly rated, that's somewhat reasonable. But I wanted the ability, if I can find a better deal, to cancel that one. So it says right on the site, you can cancel with no penalty. And I thought, well, okay, but I wanted to read a little more fine print, so I went another level down, and it's guaranteeing me that I can get a full refund up to 3 o'clock of the day of the reservation. I'm almost resting in that. Now, one of the things we found when we travel is it's a great time to have work done on our house. We're out of town. And I noticed the other day that uh, some of our uh, flower beds and some of our embankments around our house that have, are protected with these like old railroad ties, and some of those are starting to get a little nasty looking. And You know, we've got a guy here at Faith Bible Church who retired. But he used to have a landscaping business, and he does beautiful work. I mean, just like he would have all the modern interlocking block, and everything. it would just be beautiful. And if I wanted to, and if I could talk him out of retirement, which I know I can't, but if I could, I would totally trust him. I mean, I could just make a phone call and say, hey, sometime would you stop by and look at it? Yeah, I stopped by. I think it's going to cost $2,000. I'd leave him a check on my kitchen table and leave town and not even worry about it. I wouldn't need anything in writing. Why? Because he is a man of integrity. Because I trust him. Because he's a man of integrity. I know that he will do what he says he will do. And believe me, and you know just as well as I do, that's not normal today. It's not normal in our culture for a person to actually day in and day out when nobody else is looking, 
Be a man or woman of integrity. And when we are, even though the culture around us says, well, you just kind of need to be a person of integrity. You know, just come close. That's good enough. Even if, even if no one's looking, a person of integrity today can only consistently be a person of integrity by the empowerment of God and they actually reflect God's character. When they are a man or woman of integrity. And here, David isn't doing this for political gain. He's doing it because he said, yes, I will do it. And he's doing it now. Remember the words of James chapter 5, verse 12. James chapter 5, verse 12 says this. But above all, my brethren, do not swear. It doesn't mean don't cuss. It means you don't have to take an oath to prove that you're going to do what you have to, what you say. So it says, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. So just as David does here today, we have an opportunity to reflect God by being men and women of integrity. Now here, David follows through. And as we come to verses 6 down to the end of the chapter, remember Jonathan said, I'm asking you to promise me to show grace to my descendants. And that's exactly what David is going to do in verses 6 through 13. He shows the kindness of God, the grace of God. And he does it here by being generous and not expecting anything in return. Just like we can show the kindness of God by being generous with people with no expectation of getting anything back. Look with me at verse 6. Remember, David has sent for Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth shows up and verse 6 says, he falls flat on his face right before the king. So he's just flat on the ground. And it tells us in verse 7, the first thing David says to him in verse 7 is, don't fear Why do you think David thinks Mephibosheth is scared? I think he's flat on the ground and he's probably shaking. He said, yeah, I'm Mephibosheth. Why is he scared? Because the culture would say, this is the last day of your life, man. Because the king is going to kill you right now. Why? Because that's what's accepted. That's what people think should happen. Yes, it's just normal. The new guy comes into power, you kill everybody else before. That's how you protect your reign. That's what's expected. So here we find Mephibosheth on the ground, probably shaking. And David says to him in verse 7, Do not fear, for I will surely show chesed to you. Kindness, loyal love. Grace. 
And remember from verse 3 that that is the chesed of God. It's God's kindness. It's God's grace. David here is just a conduit. He's just a channel. He's just a tool that God is going to use so that when Mephibosheth feels love, it's really God loving him through David. And David shows him kindness. David shows him grace in some very concrete ways. In verse 7 there, first of all, he restores his grandpa's estate to him. So all of Saul's land holdings, he gives to Mephibosheth. And then he tells Ziba to make sure that the, all the land is cared for. And so all of a sudden, Mephibosheth goes from having no source of income to having lands and an estate and servants to help take care of it. He instantly becomes wealthy. He's also given instant prestige because David also says, by the way, you're always welcome at my table. That would be like the President of the United States saying to you or to me, you can come eat at the White House anytime you want to. You'd be so welcome there that you'd pull up to the gates at the White House, you wouldn't even have to show any ID. They'd just see you and open the gates. You'd drive right up, walk into the private quarters of the President, sit down at a table and say, I would like the chef to make me Chateaubriand today. That's what this would be like. What grace! I mean, the culture would say, David's going to kill him. Instead, he enriches him with the lands and he gives him a position of prestige by having an open invitation always to come eat at the king's table. And Mephibosheth can't even grasp it. He says to him in the end of verse 8, Why would you do this? I am a dead dog. Now, remember, in this culture, they don't view dogs the way we do. It's not little fluffy. It's not your little Bichon at home that brings you a little toy. They would view dogs as the, as the grossest animal there. They hold them with disdain. I was trying to think what a comparable animal would be. Maybe a possum? I don't know. Something that's out eating dead roadkill all the time. Just some gross, gross animal. And he says, I'm a dead one of those. That's how I view myself. Why would you do this? And... David does it. There's no expectation of anything in return. He already has everything. He does it because he's showing Mephibosheth the kindness of God, the grace of God. He's being a conduit. I've shared some of this account with you years ago, but several years ago now, I had some very tough news that I had to process in my life because my one of my absolute long-time best friends um, deserted his wife and his family. 
I mean, I was so close with this man. He was my accountability partner for about five years. We, we met regularly. We prayed together. We read the scripture together. We talked about the word together. And I will never forget, I was up at Camp Four Springs in Wisconsin when a mutual friend told me that my buddy had left his wife and family and it made me so sick I just went out into the timber by myself and I, I literally was sick to my stomach. And it just it just cut me so deeply. I just could not believe it. A few months passed by and I was able to have a little bit of contact with my buddy and, and tried to encourage his wife via phone and he uh, still wasn't home, and she was out trying to take care of their property. They, they lived on a small farm uh, on the East Coast, and she was trying to mow the, a hillside or a ditch, and the tractor turned over on top of her. And they were able, they, at that time, they were, at least had contact information from my friend, and they got him, a hold of him, and he made it to the hospital. And right before she passed away, she was able to forgive him and expressed words of grace to her husband. Which started a long journey for him. And I've had the privilege of having a restored relationship with him and we've periodically been able to be together and share And the first time I got together with him after all of this had occurred, he, it was a hard time to talk and, and, but he was able to get out that the thing that he learned probably the most and is still learning today is grace. His wife not only forgave him, but her family did. Her mom, her siblings. What would our culture say in a situation like that? Just the people around you that don't have Christ in their life? Do you think that they would forgive that husband who deserted his family and she was out doing what he normally did and was killed in the process? I don't think so. And yet, they demonstrated grace to him. And he still has a relationship with them today. And probably one of the hardest things for him in thinking about grace has been willing to accept their forgiveness. And and as I talk with my buddy, it just reminds me that it really wasn't his wife, and it really wasn't her family members and his children who were showing him that grace. It was God. They were conduits. And here we see David doing what the culture wouldn't expect. They would expect him to kill Mephibosheth. Instead, he is gracious with them and generous and kind with them. Now, the neat thing is we have that same opportunity to be channels of God's chesed, His love, His grace to people around us. We have a group here of, of, of folks at Faith Bible Church called deacons. And 
our deacons solely serve and exist to serve people. That's what they do. And they don't expect anything back. There's this group of men, and now we have some women who come alongside of them, just going out and meeting people where they are. No expectation of anything in return. So when they love someone, and oftentimes that's demonstrated in very concrete ways, it's not really that man or that woman that is loving that other person. It's the Lord loving that other person through them as a conduit. Remember what David said in verse 3? I want to be able to show the kindness of God to Jonathan's descendant. There's some verses in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verses 17 and 18 that are a good reminder. It's addressed, these verses are addressed to the rich in this present world. I always thought that was somebody else for years until I spent a month in India and realized that that's me. And so it says, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. You see, we as believers in Jesus Christ, David as a believer in his God, We reflect God when we show, when we demonstrate integrity, and when we show grace to the people around us when it's not expected. When when our culture would say, why? And it's not us, ultimately, that is the source of that kindness, but it's God demonstrating His loyal love through us as conduits, as instruments, as tools to the person who desperately needs to know that God cares for them and loves them. You may be here this morning and you're not sure that God cares and loves for you. I would encourage you not to leave this morning without allowing us to come alongside of you. One of our elders will be back in the prayer room, which is just directly behind you. And if you're not sure about all of this stuff with God, we'd like to give you some material that you could take a Bible and look up verses in your own Bible that talk about how you can know for sure that you're right with God, that your sin is forgiven. Or you may be here and you have a relationship with God. You've put your trust in Jesus Christ, but you're hurting. We'd love to come alongside of you and just pray with you, even just for a few moments this morning before you leave this place. Father, we thank you for your loyal love to us, your kindness, your grace. We pray that you'll continue to help us reflect you with our lives.
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.